0: And welcome to the Selective Mutism Help Home Educational Learning Program podcast. My name is Kelly, and I'll be your host. This podcast aims to give you the help you need to support the person in your life affected by selective mutism. In this episode, I'll be talking about rhythmic movement training and how it may help those with selective mutism. I'll be discussing what rhythmic movement training is and how it may be an alternative to medication. Plus, I'll share how rhythmic movement training has been incorporated in helping our daughter with SM. Let's get started. Welcome to episode four of the Selective Mutism Help Home Educational Learning Program podcast. My name is Kelly, and I'm a parent of a child with selective mutism. Being that I'm a parent and not a medical professional, this podcast is for informational purposes only. The topic of rhythmic movement training is a really big topic once you start researching it. I'll do my best to give a general overview, but please know that there is a lot you can still learn, and I highly recommend learning as much as you can. I'll start off by talking about how we came upon rhythmic movement training. During the first year of getting our daughter diagnosed and tested, we were told time and time again that the reason she has SM is because it's a genetic disorder and that my husband or I had severe anxiety, which was passed on to our daughter. This can be the case for a lot of kids with SM, but I always felt like it didn't match up with us. Yeah, we were shy kids and slow to warm, but nothing severe to the point of selective mutism, social anxiety, or separation anxiety. It seemed like there was another component. I just didn't know what it was. When we had our first occupational therapy session, the concept of integrating reflexes and rhythmic movement training was brought to my attention. We were given an article written by Sonia Story called The Importance of Integrating Reflexes. This was the article I was waiting for. This seemed to answer all of my questions and help me understand where the SM was coming from. I'll attach the link, the link to the article in the podcast notes, and I really hope you take the time to read the two-page article. If you can't, I'll do my best to summarize it during this podcast. So let's dive into what reflexes are, what it means to have integrated reflexes, and what may happen if certain reflexes aren't integrated. Okay, a reflex, more specifically a primitive reflex, is an automatic, instinctual movement controlled from the brainstem that develops during pregnancy. These reflexes are needed for the newborn to survive during the first few months after birth. Generally, they become inactive after the toddler stage. The most common reflexes you might know, without even knowing they were a primitive reflex, and that would be sucking, grasping, and the startle reflex. I think all your parents can remember your baby throwing their little arms and legs out and gasping when they heard a loud noise. It was so cute. That reflex was controlled by the Moro reflex, which I'll get into later. As the baby moves their body around in various ways, sometimes rhythmically, they start integrating those reflexes. An integrated reflex is a reflex that has either merged into a more sophisticated movement or is a reflex that is no longer active. If the baby is not given opportunities to move their bodies, they may not have the opportunity to integrate their reflexes and therefore the reflexes stay active. I want to throw out a quick side note. As you listen to this information, please do not feel guilty or at fault for anything you did as a parent. You did everything right for your situation and for what you knew as a parent when your child was a baby. I have been riddled with guilt for a long time because I could have done things differently if only I knew more after our daughter was born. But the guilt has not helped my child. Taking action has. So with that out of the way, I want to share with you how we cared for our daughter as a baby and how it may have contributed to retain primitive reflexes. So during a pregnancy, a mother tends to read a ton of material, especially before having their first child. I read a ton and I read about methods such as letting your child cry it out so they don't become dependent on needing someone to help them calm down or fall asleep. I learned about swaddling them to keep them feeling secure and being that I can be on the competitive side, I wanted to see our daughter reach milestones quickly so we would have her in various jumpy jumps as we called them to get her nice and strong. But here's where understanding rhythmic movement and integrating primitive reflexes could have come in handy at that point in raising our daughter. When a baby cries, it signals the mother to pick them up and rock them gently. The rocking movement helps integrate reflexes. When we kept her swaddled, it didn't give her the opportunity to move her body in a way to integrate her reflexes. Plus, having her in a jumper actually restricted certain movements she needed to integrate reflexes. Now again, I'm not saying that these things caused my daughter's SM, but it may have been enough to push the predisposition of anxiety further into a more severe anxiety situation that we're now seeing. Another important component for a baby to have an opportunity to integrate their primitive reflexes is to allow them time to spend on their tummies. I remember going to those first checkups and the pediatrician saying tummy time was needed to help strengthen the neck. Well, typically when you put a baby on their tummy, they start to cry. So you pick them up and hold them. I figured she'll get her neck strength another way. So I didn't have to just see her upset willing on her tummy. So I would hold her. Again, little did I know that tummy time is so much more than strengthening their neck. It gives them the opportunity to move their bodies in a way to help integrate their reflexes. Integrated reflexes are the foundation for brain development. When building a tower, for example, you need to have a strong foundation in order for the tower to stand tall and strong. If the base is weak, the tower may sway or have cracks or only get so far along in the building process. Same is true for the integrated reflexes. If they aren't integrated or they're still active, the foundation is weak and problems may arise. Now that we have an understanding of what primitive reflexes are and how they become integrated, let's talk about what happens if certain reflexes are not integrated. I'll start with the moral reflex, the startle reflex that I mentioned earlier. The moral reflex creates an instant arousal in a baby's survival system. Again, this is information that I'm getting from Sonia Story's article. The moral reflex trains the nervous system to develop the fight-or-flight survival response. They will develop an increased and shallow breathing rate, their heart rate and blood pressure will increase, and they will have a release of adrenaline and cortisol, which are stress hormones. When this happens and a caregiver is close by to give the baby an opportunity to hug and cling, this helps integrate the reflex, and by four months of age, the reflex should be integrated. When it's integrated, instead of the fight-or-flight response, the baby's shoulders will rise and they'll look for the source of what startled them. They may pay attention to whatever it was or simply ignore it. By ignoring it, their nervous system matures and learns to filter out unwanted stimuli. So what happens if the baby doesn't integrate their moral reflex? In Harold Blomberg's book, The Rhythmic Movement Method, he states that constant inner stress causes withdrawal behavior, The baby may be afraid of unfamiliar situations and exploring. It may cause selective mutism. It may cause poor adaptability, inflexibility, OCD, negativism, opposition, and aggression. In Sonia's article, she mentions that a retained moral reflex may cause poor balance and coordination, hypersensitivity to sound, difficulty filtering out extraneous stimuli, and difficulty catching a ball all of which our SM daughter had another reflex i wanted to talk about is the fear paralysis reflex this goes along closely with the moral reflex because when this reflex is integrated it helps the moral reflex integrate the fear paralysis reflex protects a baby by triggering the freeze reaction during the freeze reaction they will tighten the jaw and eye muscles hold their breath breath and there may be a drop in heart rate Generally, the fear paralysis reflex is triggered as a response to a perceived threat. I bet you can guess what a possible long-term effect of an active fear paralysis reflex is. Yeah, selective mutism. Think of that child with SM and the way their body tenses up and they look away. As well as selective mutism, it could also cause insecurity, depression, fear of separation from loved ones, clinging behavior, controlling behavior, and fear of fail- failure to name a few. This reflex is generally integrated before birth even occurs. If it hasn't been integrated, a um, baby may be sensitive to rocking and may not want to be held. Rocking and being held is what helps integrate the moral reflex, so you can see how these two go hand in hand. Those were the two main reflexes I wanted to talk about in this podcast because it seems that those two are the closest link to selective mutism. In Sonia's article, she talks about a few other reflexes the tonic labyrinth reflex, or TLR, the asymmetrical tonic neck reflex, or ATNR, and the spinal gallant reflex. TLR has to do with muscle tone, balance and coordination, W leg sitting difficulty alternating legs going up and down stairs, and stiff, jerky movements, to name a few there. The ATNR can cause poor sense of direction, focus and balance issues, dyslexia, and reading issues. Finally, the spinal gallant reflex may cause bedwetting, which we are still dealing with for our daughter, scoliosis, poor posture, difficulty standing still, and poor poor concentration, to name a few. So you may be asking yourself, now what? My child has retained primitive reflexes. What do I do? My suggestion would be to find someone that is trained in rhythmic movement training and have an evaluation done by them. I have been so fortunate to have an OT evaluate our daughter and teach me how to do the movements to start integrating our daughter's reflexes. Plus, I had the absolute privilege to interview two women who are very well versed in rhythmic movement training in past selective mutism help summits. One of the women I interviewed during the first selective mutism help summit was a name that you may now know, Sonia Story. She was able to break down a lot of this information during our interview, which was extremely beneficial. Another woman I interviewed for the second Selective Mutism Help Summit was Charlotte Davies from the UK. In our interview, we talked about primitive reflexes as well as sound processing. Both are wonderful interviews, and at the end of this podcast, I'll share a code to gain access to those interviews at a reduced price. If you find that you don't have someone in your area trained in RMT or rhythmic movement training, check out the amazing YouTube videos that Charlotte put together. I'll leave a link below to her YouTube page. She has videos of each of the reflexes I mentioned, as well as others that go into detail about testing for retained reflexes and the exercises that go along to help start integrating those reflexes. She was so kind as to watch a slowed-down video of our daughter running, walking, and skipping to help us determine exactly what we needed to be focusing on. Now, this isn't a one-and-done exercise program. It takes months, if not years, to see results. But don't get discouraged. During the exercises, the brain is beginning to form neuropathways. pathways. Remember, in the last podcast, how we talked about medication and how increasing the serotonin levels can increase the ability to form more neuropathways. pathways. So this could be a way to get some of the same effects of medicating without medication. My guess is there are not specific research articles published on the effects of medicating versus the effects of RMT on selective mutism. So I can't say for certain that RMT can be used in lieu of medicate in lieu of medication. But from my experience and understanding of RMT, there could be a possibility. We started doing RMT daily with my daughter this past spring. She started exhibiting more issues with separation anxiety and worry, and I didn't feel that increasing her medication was what we needed at that point. So after talking with Charlotte and reading her book and watching her videos, we got a game plan together and started doing exercises daily. And to be honest, it was really hard to watch my daughter try to do the exercises. One of them was for her to crawl from one side of the room to the other. Seems simple enough, but due to her lack of core strength, she couldn't keep her hands parallel to each other when crawling. They would splay out or even point backwards. Another exercise was sitting in a chair and slowly putting her arms and legs out at the same time while looking up. And every time she would tip backwards and start falling. Even though she struggled, we could not give up. We had to keep going at it. And I would become very overwhelmed watching her because I knew how far she needed to go to get where she needed to be. And I would become very anxious and it would just create an unhealthy environment for the two of us. So I ended up recording myself doing the exercises and then every day she would take the laptop up to her room and follow along with the video. It gave her an opportunity to still be with me, even though I didn't have to be there watching her and getting visibly upset by how difficult it was. She did the exercises for at least three months, almost every single day. And I would say by the second month, we could start seeing a difference in her mood. She wasn't so uptight and controlling. She was more flexible in her thinking and more pleasant to be around. I know we still have a lot of work ahead of us, but at least now we're able to support her brain and body in a different way that medication and therapy may not be able to support her. I'm a firm believer that a child with SM needs a whole body treatment program, and using RMT could be a way to do that. I hope this episode has given you a different way of looking at how your child could have potentially developed their SM. It might answer those questions that you couldn't find the answer to. I'll leave some links in the episode notes for you to learn more about rhythmic movement training if you'd like to learn more, which I hope you do. And if you'd like to check out my interviews with Sonia Story or Charlotte Davies, head over to smhelp.org and visit the Awareness Merchandise tab. Sonia's interview is in day three of the Fall 2020 Summit, and Charlotte's is in day three of the Spring 2021 Summit. There you'll be able to purchase lifetime access to the interviews, and if you use the code PODCAST4, all lowercase letters with a number 4 after, you will save 25% off those interviews. Thanks for joining me. The next episode will be available in two weeks. Until then, feel free to email me with any questions at smhelp2020 at gmail.com. Learn more from my website, smhelp.org, and follow me on Facebook and Instagram by searching for Selective Mutism Help. Take care, everyone.